Welcome to a special episode of the Sunday Night Army podcast with your host, Jacob. Well, all right. Welcome to the Sunday Night Army podcast. I am Jacob, and thank you for joining me on this fantastic special episode of the show. Now, today is going to be a little bit different. I have an amazing guest, really good interview that you need to hear. And of course, before we get to them today, if you want to support the show, try the link tree, the link in bio, because you're already listening on your favorite podcast catcher, which don't forget to hit that follow button so you keep track of all the latest episodes. We are on the road to episode 200. And of course, if you want to support, the link in bio gives you also the link to the merchandise store. Going to support the show that way that's one way you're doing it and of course if you're not following me on social media then what are you doing go check out twitter instagram facebook and tiktok yeah tiktok which will also give you a little preview to the music that's coming up uh my own music actually and um go check it out there and uh yeah don't forget to follow all that stuff because i don't post the same stuff on all social media tiktok gets something different twitter gets something different instagram gets something different so uh, the more you're following, the more you're engaged. So check that out, and let's get to the interview. So right now on the Sunday Night Army, I'd like to introduce this show to actress, author, model, host, podcaster, comedian, and interviewer. I hope I got all in all together. Wendy Stewart Kaplan, how are you today? Yay, you got it perfect. That was a mouthful <laughs> and a lot to remember, and I'm just doing terrifically. Thank well, you for great. having me. Oh, no problem. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, there's so much to talk about as um, your introduction stays. You do so much work. You're everywhere. And let's, we're going to bounce around and dissect some of your work because I think it's a lot of it's extremely important. And you have some new things coming up, which yes. I want to get into also. But let's start um, not really from the beginning, but from the beginning, if uh, that <laughs> makes any sense. Uh, I want to know because th th there's uh, the part of you that started off traveling overseas nigeria something about voodoo yes and i want to know yeah. how how that started uh every, how that started at the beginning and how it got you to working with as a fit model a consultant with major brands how did that go from one to the other let's we'll start well, with it, that it's funny how life is so let's start at the very beginning mm -hmm. as a four-year-old child i remember this Two things I told my mother, and I grew up in the Bronx, you know, in a, you know, just middle class neighborhood, right? But mm -hmm. I remember telling my mother there were two things I knew I was going to do and be when I grew up, that I was going to travel to Africa and I was going to be a model. And, you know, my family probably thought this crazy four-year-old, where is she getting this stuff from, right? <laughs> but it was something that stayed with me. And when I was 15, I started to go to model agencies and was turned down by everyone. Nothing was right about me, right? So fast forward, going to university and uh, my, uh, between junior and senior year, this opportunity came up. I was majoring in anthropology and everyone was applying to programs in like Israel and Egypt. And you had to really be, you know, favored in the department to get into those. Everyone wanted to go there. But my boyfriend at the time, who was in the filmmaking department said to me, hey, 
why don't we do this? He said, the Black Studies Department is having um, a, a study abroad in Nigeria. And I said, well, we're not in the Black Studies Department. And he said, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so he said, it'll probably be a shoe. And I, I love telling this story because it's it, what's the meaning of this story? You got to think out of the box, mm -hmm. right? You have to think out of the box. So we applied and off I went on an archaeology dig to upstate New York, you know, that summer thinking I wasn't going to get in. Well, I was um, in my pit digging for um, artifacts from uh, I think it was the Lenape Indians and digging for artifacts. And I got back to my dorm room that night and I got a letter from the university that I had been chosen to go on this program in Nigeria and stay in a village called Ife, go to the university there. And I had to put together a proposal of what I wanted to study. This was all happening so quick, Jacob, mm -hmm. you know, so I'm in upstate New York digging by a highway called Interstate 88. It's a big one. And the next thing you know, I'm applying for visas. I think I had like two and a half weeks to get it together. And I wasn't going to miss this opportunity. And my boyfriend at the time, he also got the same opportunity. So cool. We were we were going to go to Nigeria. And the proposal I put together, again, you asked me about voodoo and the connection to that. Mm -hmm. I have always been, been interested in beliefs of other cultures. I can put it to you that way, because I it's something that's just in me that I get. And I thought, what could be better than to study a traditional belief system, right? I'm going to Nigeria, I'm going to be in the area where the Yoruba people live. And one of the deities that they worship there, there are more than a few, of course, but Shango, who is the God of thunder. So I put together this proposal that I wanted to attend local festivals and um, do my, my paper on Shango, the God of thunder and how he affected the Yoruba people. So off I was in uh, Nigeria, which um, really of all the things I've done that first, that very first trip into a part of the world where you have none of your creature comforts. Mm -hmm. There were no uh, McDonald's golden arches, right? We can find those anywhere in the world. Couldn't find that there. Uh, you know, getting there, our first meal in quote unquote a restaurant. The restaurant was a, you know, wooden structure by the water. And uh, we had uh, goat meat and rice, which we uh, ate with our hands and some mm -hmm. kind of bread. So all of a sudden, my little world was really, really rocked. And I knew I was going to experience something that nobody else would experience, especially, you know, coming from the Bronx and everything. My God, it was amazing. So um, as you know, my book, She's the Last Model Standing, I opened that book when I was in Nigeria. Okay. At mm -hmm. that particular time, they were overthrowing the government. I was a student, you know, attending these festivals that were only for local people. I had a best friend I developed within weeks of going to the university there. His name was Gide Abegunde. And I always mention him in the hopes that somewhere, somehow, somebody's listening that knows him because I lost track with him. But he was the one that made it possible for me to go to these local festivals as an, I was a total and complete outsider. 
um, you have to understand there wasn't a tourist infrastructure in Ife or the surrounding areas in Kano City in Benin. You know that it was local village people. There were uh, people there from Middle Eastern countries too that had taken advantage of the trade situation. But I was a college student with waist length long blonde hair. And a person that never believed anything could, bad could happen to me, because think about when you're, you know, like 20, 21 years old, the world's your oyster. What could mm -hmm. possibly bad go wrong? So all of the stuff they were overthrowing the government in the northern part of Nigeria that I hitchhiked up to hitchhiked with my boyfriend. How crazy is that? I would never in a million years do that. We were um, up there and we saw and got to meet people that now I understand were the predecessors of the Boko Haram. Mm -hmm. We all know about what happened with Boko Haram in the last couple of years. They kidnapped all those Nigerian schoolgirls. Mm -hmm. I mean, they are a terrorist organization. Yes. That was going on in the late 70s when I was there. And you know what? I had no idea. So there I am in Nigeria, and they had a big Lebanese population that were friendly with all the Nigerian business people. And I guess, you know, because of the way I looked, right, this this freak with waist length blonde hair and <laughs> what the heck was she doing there? People really tried to take care of me and invited me everywhere. And I remember swimming and there was a beautiful mansion. I was invited to owned by a Lebanese guy and you had, who had uh, people that were serving us dinner and everything. And he had a beautiful pool. And I remember going out, it was very hot swimming in the pool and he and some of the upper echelon Nigerians that were in government, they were laughing at me in the pool. And I thought they were laughing at the way I swam. I only came to find out that they were laughing at me because only a few months earlier, there had been so much killing there. That very pool was filled with blood. Oh, and wow. I tell this story, right, because um, I was completely naive. You would not even fathom that anything could happen to me there. Now, my gosh, Jacob, when I think back, like you're asking me about it, I'm really lucky I wasn't kidnapped or any of those things. Mm -hmm. And I really got to meet wonderful local people who told me why they believed in Shango, attend festivals where I saw people actually possessed by Shango, as well as other deities, you know, and I saw many things that couldn't be explained. And it really was the thing that kind of um, propelled me forward to opening up my mind to a whole other way of thinking, right? Because we are here in the United States, we're in a Western civilization. And um, people ask me, quote unquote, about voodoo. And I use mm -hmm. that word in my book. I use it more as that's kind of a bridge that people here will understand. But I, I don't even like calling it that. It's traditional beliefs. And honest to God, I have learned so much about traditional beliefs and things that you cannot, you can't explain them. And I am in many senses, a very scientific person, you know, that reads really good scientific investigations. And that's very meaningful to me. But in my own belief system, I've seen things and experienced things that can't be explained. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that was the open for, uh, she's the last model standing um yeah. now where does fragile beauty come in your short film 
So um, this all, you know, I'm telling you all this because mm -hmm. it's full circle. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I come back, I start modeling, right? And that's a whole other thing. And we can talk about that later. And, I, you know, um, I wrote this book, you know, fairly recently called She's the Last Model Standing. Mm -hmm. I opened the book in Nigeria. I end the book really with how through my whole modeling career, which is still going on now, I came up with the idea that what is stopping me from going out there and making films about these unanswered questions about how other cultures live and traditional beliefs and going to remote parts of the world. And once I came up with that idea, and I, I tell you this, because again, we're out of the box. Mm -hmm. Once I came up with the idea, right, that my husband, who is a photographer, I'm like, he's got the photo skills. I have the ability to mix everywhere I can go because um, it's not a matter. I'm not one of the people, right? If I'm in Nigeria, I'm not Nigerian. If I'm making a film in Ethiopia, I'm not Ethiopian, but I do have a gift of being able to connect anywhere I go in the world. And maybe that is why in Nigeria, right? In such uh, crazy times, nothing happened to me. I have always felt, Jacob, there's a guardian angel on my side. So a few years ago, I decided I you know, wanted to tell the story of these incredible tribes in the Omo Valley mm -hmm. in Ethiopia. And the reason I wanted to go there was, you know, coming from a background in fashion, right? I, I've been modeling for, for over four decades. That's mm -hmm. a really long time. And we know what our sense of fashion and beauty is in, in this country. Right. But I would go online and see people of uh, pictures of quote unquote tribal people, right? That I'm telling you so beautiful, the body painting, the clothing that they wear, that still dress like that. This is not like many cultures now, you know, dress in the way of the Western world or the modern world. But in this part of Ethiopia, which is the Southern Omo Valley, you've got like something like 22 different tribes that all have not, not only unique dress, unique body paint design, and they look like that every day of their lives. This is not like a tourist thing where they, you know, you go to Hawaii and they'll put on traditional outfits for the tourists and you can go see a dinner show or what. This is not that. This is people that are still living this way, that are not using money in some of these tribal areas even to pay for things. They pay for things with a cow or a goat. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine that that's the denomination? So I thought I wanted to make a film about how they dress, why they dress, how it connects to their belief system. And now in retrospect, that was my idea, but that was so superficial really compared to what I found. So one of the um, first groups I went to do the film about the, the Hammer people. They were having a very traditional thing that they do called the jumping of the bill, bulls. And they are, they've got one foot in both worlds, right? Because some of them are in Western dress, but they still have all these traditional ceremonies. And the jumping of the bulls is a coming of age ceremony where a 13 year old boy has to jump across the back of eight bulls. And uh, basically they hoist him up, the bulls are all together and he's kind of hops from one foot to the next and he has to do it without falling. And if he 
succeeds in this, right? He gets um, a house, a wife, uh, land, and an AK-47. This hmm. is absolutely <laughs> true because this is, you know, part of what the, what their tradition is. So I go to this ceremony because we were invited and they actually, they paint my face like the other people that were there. I mean, this was incredible mm -hmm. and I was made to feel very welcome. But here we go with the traditional belief system that really blew my mind. And there are people that question this and I did show it in the film, Fragile Beauty. Part of that ceremony before the guy jumps over the, the bulls is the women are completely bare chested and the men take um, brush or bushes from trees mm -hmm. and they beat the women on their backs till they're bleeding. And everybody is jumping up and down and singing and laughing and having a gay old time. Mm -hmm. How do you explain that? They're actually bleeding. And I cut the amount of what I showed in the film on that, because um, obviously this is a film I wanted to educate people to show, you know, differences in other parts of the world without exploiting and without turning people off. Mm -hmm. But the truth of the matter is, you know, the women from this particular group, the Hammer women had scarring all over their back and more scars every time they have one of these um, traditional uh, get togethers for a certain event and they'd be bleeding and they were laughing. Now imagine, right? If we did that in our culture, people would be experiencing pain. Mm -hmm. They were not experiencing pain. And that is fact. And that is truth. And that is something I cannot explain. And I've told this to scientists because I'm a member of the Explorers Club, which has 3,400 members in the world. And many scientists are a part of it. And these are scientists, right, that write credible papers that you've mm -hmm. seen quoted all over. They've been on television. They've been in the New York Times. And they, you know, they just stare because they don't have an answer for me. And nobody has had an answer for me to be able to explain that. So I ended up making the film about that. And the other component to fragile beauty, why did I call it fragile beauty? Well, the people were indeed beautiful. Their dress was incredible. Their body painting extraordinary, but the fragility of the culture. Why is it fragile? Because things are rapidly changing in that part of the world and they are losing their ancestral lands because as modern day uh, proceeds ahead, the government has been taking their land, lands to make a huge dam that will go all the way into Egypt called the Giba Dam. And it's moving these traditional people off of their traditional lands and putting them next to other tribes. Now, it's kind of like the Hatfields and McCoys, right? That we talk mm -hmm. about in the United States, you know, people that just aren't going to get along with each other because they're different. And that is the issue there. And I started out this talk by saying, you know, in the in the hammer, hammer group at the jumping of the bulls, the if the boy succeeds, he gets a house, a bride, land, and an AK-47. These tribal groups all have AK-47s now. And the reason that they have that is they're worried about other groups coming in and stealing from them. They're worried about the government coming in and doing things to them. So they feel the need that they have to arm themselves to do this. So the fragility comes in in the fact that things that are being done to these people that 
I really believe is just not right. And then the thing that really blew my mind, I'm there making this film and in the middle of it, the father of one of the children in the village comes over and tells my translator, did I have malaria pills? I'm like, yeah, of course I have malaria pills. You got to take malaria there. Well, he tells our translator that his child is very sick with malaria and could die. So my guide comes over to me and says, you can't give him your pills because you can get bitten by a mosquito. And I'm like, well, what's going to happen to the child? He said, well, there is a clinic near here, but the man doesn't have any money to pay for the clinic. He can only pay for the treatment with a cow. Hmm. I mean, this is unbelievable mm -hmm. in this day and age. So we had to really convince the father and the child to get in our Jeep. Now, mind you, Jacob, the clinic is too miles away. So you've got children dying in one village mm -hmm. and a treatment two miles away in another. Makes absolutely no sense. I had to convince the father saying we wanted to give him a gift and his child a gift because they were so wonderful to us, letting us take pictures in the village, which by the way, we actually gave them uh, money that they don't usually use money, but now they would have money for things. Cause we, anytime we make our films, we pay the local people. We convince the father and the daughter to get in our Jeep. We drive the two hours, I'm sorry, two miles to the clinic. And um, the nurse comes out. She was very respectful of us. She spoke a little bit of English, but very dismissive of the father and the child. And I said, we need to get malaria medicine. And she told my guide, well, you know, these people won't have any money to pay for it, meaning the father and the child. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, I will pay for it. How much is the treatment? $10, Jacob, wow. $10. So now we're talking about life and death situations. Okay. I, of course, paid for the treatment. The child got saved, but there you have fragile beauty. All right. Mm -hmm. You have this incredibly beautiful culture, but they're all very fragile. And I, that's what the film ended up being about. And that was really my first film in a remote area it was a um, very amazing short film that we made. I think it was 22 minutes that was taken into and given awards in many festivals. And of course, that film was followed up shortly later by um, uh, the situation with poaching is something that's uh, very close to my heart. I wanted to make a film about that. So the second film that we ended up doing about gorilla and chimpanzee rescue in Cameroon was called uh, Whisperers and Witnesses Primate Rescue in Cameroon. Mm -hmm. um, that was about, do you, do you know what bushmeat is? Yes. Okay, you do. A lot of people don't, which is why I ask. And part of what I do is I want to share and mm -hmm. give information. So for you're going to have listeners they are going to be like, what's bushmeat? Bushmeat is anything that's, that's shot in the bush or mm -hmm. what we call the jungle. And most of the time when you hear of bushmeat, it can be um, from an elephant. It can be from a rhinoceros or, e or even lions. I mean, we all hear about poaching going on in Africa. Well, the meat is actually sold in the market. And the meat, unfortunately, is sold as delicacies in the Middle East. And as I came to find out, there are underground places in the United States of America that also serve bush meat, which is very, very sad to me. Mm -hmm. So... I found out they 
kill gorillas and chimpanzees for the bushmeat to eat it and also sell for medicinal purposes in China, in the Middle East, and I am sure in the United States of America. I can't speak for Canada because I don't know, but mm -hmm. the fact that this is going on was truly tragic. So I met at uh, two lectures at the Explorers Club, two women that were saving gorillas and chimpanzees in Cameroon by having rescue centers. What happens is the way this works, the hunters kill the parents. So it can be an adult gorilla or an adult chimpanzee. They leave the babies just lying there in the forest. Local people will often find them or somebody uh, will find the baby. The baby's not worth anything, right? There's not enough meat on there. So local villagers will take the baby in. And of course, they're not equipped to raise a baby gorilla or a chimpanzee. Neither is, you know, a, a really well-meaning uh, person of mm -hmm. the clergy that's, that's there. And, you know, you have your foreigners that, that come to do work there. Some of them have taken the baby gorillas or chimpanzees there. You know what? People are well-meaning, but just like humans, baby mm -hmm. gorillas and baby chimpanzees deserve to live with their own. So these women have started these rescue centers and what they are was completely fascinating to me. They create these artificial families of gorillas or chimpanzees that actually will live their lives out in four acre enclosures. Now, if you can envision that, that's a lot of space. And what they do is they create these families and they can forage for food, they can build nests, and they have the whole structure that they would have quote unquote, as, as if they were living in the forest. The good thing about it is these places are run by volunteers. And because the primates are in enclosures, nobody can come and shoot them. People have said to me, well, that's not right. And I say to them, I've seen the, you know, four acres, they've got loads of room to run. They've got loads of room to do what their social structure is, but it's keeping them safe. Ideally, wouldn't it be great to be able to release them out into quote unquote protected areas? But if they do that, they've actually got to be able to protect them. They need to have rangers, okay, that can protect mm -hmm. the areas. And I know you know this, every day we hear about some protected area in, in Africa where they had those rangers and yet someone managed to get in there and gun down 12 elephants. That's not working really well. No, it's not. Right. So I love what they're doing. I totally support the one um, place we went to Ape Action Africa has 324 primates, which is gorillas and chimpanzees and uh, other kinds of monkeys. The second one, uh, and that's run by Rachel Hogan, the second one, Ape Action Africa. And again, these are all non for profits. You can Google, you can donate to they all have websites. Ape Action Africa is 10 hours from the first place. It's really in the bush. And she's got, uh, she had at the time 64 chimpanzees. I would think right now they have 
uh, close to that. And what's so beautiful about the way these places are run, these artificial families are, we took and made a film about it. You watch them, you know, they go on about their day-to-day -day stuff. I mean, they share 97, well, this number is battled back and forth, 97 to 98% of our DNA. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're so similar to us, it's actually scary. And if you've ever had one of these, one of these primates looking in the eye, there's something that sends the hairs up on the back of your neck because they have a, they definitely have a connection to us, but they are not us, but they have a connection to us. Mm -hmm. You know, chimpanzees, they war, they fight, they are aggressive, they will kill. Um, and within the families I met in the 64 chimpanzees, there were six different family groups. So the way it works is they have human volunteers mm -hmm. in both places that take the baby for a year. And why people say, well, why a human? Well, you just can't take this strange baby and, and throw it in with a bunch of adults and hope for the best. Baby has to really be exposed how to eat, how to forage socialize you know mm -hmm. so they'll be exposed to other babies they need to earn learn these skills and they do it through the human volunteers who are so incredible uh the downside to that and people have said to me oh could you ever do that i couldn't because i would get too attached you know at the end of that year the the human volunteer who often can even be sleeping you know with the baby at night can you imagine and mm -hmm. uh, these little chimp babies my god they're they are babies uh you get so attached but at the end of the year they have to let them go and they have to find within the groups the right family to release them to not everybody's going to get along with everybody else and then you know like in human families you have the guy that's in charge you have the alpha male you know you have the female who's also the the big mama who's running things so it's quite fascinating so we did the film Whispers and Witnesses, Primate Rescue in Cameroon. And that went on to win the best documentary in the Chelsea Film Festival. So yeah. I want it out there to tell meaningful stories. Mm -hmm. And again, my book, everything with me comes full circle. She's the last model standing, opens up in Nigeria, then goes into all the incredible things that happened to me, you know, in, in New York over the decades from Studio 54 to coming full circle, making these films, the acting jobs I've had in between. Mm -hmm. it, all, it all comes around in one giant circle. And now I can tell these stories on podcasts with the people that I bring on the interview. It really is, and this is my philosophy to any of your listeners, if you have a dream, you got to go for it, mm -hmm. all right? The universe will speak to you if you're open to the universe speaking to you. And Jacob, there's not a day that goes by in my life, and a lot of them, you know, I'm not going to make this sound like a cakewalk. It's not that I even question. I'm like, what's the next thing? What's happening to, what's going to happen next for me? Because when the pandemic happened, I lost everything that I have worked for decades for. My modeling job stopped. Mm -hmm. My comedy jobs on stage stage stopped theatrical jobs all right nothing mm -hmm. i didn't even know from podcasting i didn't really know what that was it wasn't even a word that entered into my vocabulary so how are we here we're you know two years later when that's become a huge core of what i'm doing as well as you know getting everything else back it's only because i i was open and you know i always speak to the universe the out there whatever the higher 
power is and say, what, what am I supposed to be doing next? And even now I, you know, as we're sitting here talking, I, I woke up this morning and I, I have a lot of things, a lot of pots on the fire and I'm like, okay, you know, just let me know what I need to do next. And lo and behold, things started already happening this morning before you and I even got <laughs> together. Can you, can you imagine? Mm-hmm. It is, it is some a time we are living in and there's so much to unpack in, from your stories oh. and firsthand experiences. And I know the, uh, the memoir, She's the Last Model Standing, is available on Amazon uh, yes. to, for the audience to go and get deeper into everything. And yeah. where, where can the audience get to uh, see Fragile Beauty and your other movies? So those, um, you can Google them. We, mm-hmm. I Right now, because we're still entering them into festivals, mm-hmm. we just have links available. And actually, uh, if you have someone that contacts you, I am more than happy, okay, to, to send a link to a person that would be interested. Because um, obviously, I want to attract like-minded people. Mm-hmm. On, um, I have a site on Facebook called Visual Journeys Are Stories. And it gives you a lot of the backstories of these films. And the backstories are as interesting as anything else because I don't have anyone that sends me anywhere. I send me somewhere. Mm -hmm. And how do I do that? Like, this is another thing, you know, over 20 years ago, I started making these small, smaller films telling stories about these different cultures. And that was called Model with a Mission. And this production company had found me and started to put that stuff out there that I was shooting. But I was the one that came up with the idea. And how did I get to like, you know, the um, Islands of the Sun in Peru and be with the indigenous people there? Well, while I was like going through the internet, the internet's amazing, right? It's Mm -hmm. a, it's a bridge to so many things in the world. And I, I met this amazing guy that had a small travel agency, but he also was a guy that had worked with indigenous people all over the world. We're talking like chiefs that were in uh, the Amazon. He just was, he was like me, just a person who was out there. And he was able, honestly, there's not one place in the world that he couldn't get me to and get me the translator and get me the right person that could get me into the uh, jungle or the bush and and meet the indigenous people there. That's a real gift to meet somebody like Mm -hmm. that. And um, his name is Bob Todd from World Class Travel and he's out of Gainesville, Florida. And, you know, a lot of people that work with him, they go on regular trips. But as I tell you, he's the guy for me that gets the guy that can get the guy mm-hmm. and, and make the thing happen. And even set up where if I'm shooting in an area, I always, as I told you earlier, we make sure that not only the chief of the village is getting paid, but all the people that we shoot still photographs of or that are in our films, you know, sharing information or that are part of a ceremony, we always make sure that people get paid and one village in the Amazon, what they wanted was uh, they just wanted to sell us the the art that they made. So I, I'm like, yes, if that's what they want to do, what I didn't count on was there were like 80 people, including mm-hmm. the little children met with their little bracelets and they all lined up 
So we we just we did an exchange of, of monetary for all this stuff. I, I left that village with like 80 pieces of art that I've got like there was so much I got so much stuff. I've got poison dart arrows. I don't know how I got them back into the United States through customs because a lot of this stuff should be confiscated. <laughs> but you know what? It's all hanging on my walls. And how incredible is that? And I think of the children and the people in that village and how much it meant to them. I remember how they all looked lined up to, you know, to sell us the things that they that they had made. I love what I'm able to do. I want to share it with people in the world. Um, Visual Journeys, Our Stories is my site on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, um, I have all these podcasts now that I've developed. Yeah, let's talk about those. Sure. Those are on YouTube. So um, the first, so when I woke up March 12th in a total and complete shutdown in New York and every way I could earn money had come to a crashing halt, I have never been in that position in my entire life. I've only ever been an entertainer, model, actress. I've only ever earned money from the arts. The arts stopped in New York. And I had a lot of friends that, of course, that had were able to keep their nine to five jobs because they could work at home. I was not in that category. So I looked at my husband, we were standing in the kitchen on March 13th. I said, this is unacceptable. I said, you can shoot. I'm a performer. We got to come up with something. So my first show came to mind that day, pandemic cooking with Wendy. And what you need to know is Jacob, I don't cook, really hate cooking. <laughs> <As a matter. laughs> I live in New York. You can order in 24 hours a day, right. <laughs> the best food in the world and have it delivered. But I thought, what could use my skill set, right? I have costumes from performing. I love putting on makeup. I love putting on wigs. I'm a comedian. Okay. I don't cook, but surely I can offer my viewers some really cool recipes mm-hmm. that they can make at home. So the first First shot out of the bag, pandemic cooking was with Wendy. And I have 115 episodes later. And it's very entertaining. And I launched that show on YouTube. What I didn't count on happening was I don't um, I don't think Canada initially got hit the way we did here. But New York, they told us like the first week in March, this this virus was coming. Nobody really described what it was or what it was going to do. So like all of my friends, I was on the subway. Mm-hmm. Okay. The first week in March, you know, do the math. Remember the first COVID had a two week dormancy period. Yes. We should have been told the last week in February, you know what the subways in New York are like, no matter where you are in the world, right. They're oh, legendary yeah. during mm-hmm. rush hour. They're packed. So we're all on these packed subways the first weekend in February um, in March, hearing about this virus and, you know, thinking, okay, maybe it's going to be like the flu. And we were shown this graph of flattening a curve. Mm -hmm. Nobody really got what it was. So now they shut New York down March 12th. By March 17th, I had already shot a couple of episodes of Pandemic Cooking with Wendy. What I didn't count on was I was going to be in that first wave of people that got COVID. Oh, wow. And I lost my smell and taste for eight months. That is very scary and a very long time. And of course, nobody knew anything. You couldn't, you couldn't even, first of all, you couldn't get a COVID test back mm-hmm. then. Doctors couldn't really tell you anything. Um, I called any number, any number of those 800 numbers, right? Nobody knew anything. Nobody could even diagnose that we had COVID because you couldn't, unless you were at death's door, 
You mm-hmm. couldn't get in an emergency room. And the truth is you didn't want to get into an emergency room. Right. Those were for all the people they were putting on ventilators. And New York, my God, um, you know, if you followed the numbers, we got hit so bad. Uh, I have a group of about 24 close friends. We hadn't even seen each other like in a month prior to this. They all got sick all over New York. That's how bad it was here. And you would hear ambulances day and night. So what I didn't count on was coming up with this show and by rolling into April, people people were very sick. I would get I would get emails. I would get comments on Facebook from everywhere, from people that were watching the show and telling me how being at home, even though they were sick, I would make them laugh. Okay, because I would do even an episode about I, you know, the magazine Conde Nast Traveler, it's a travel magazine. I would, I put on like a fake flight attendant outfit and would <laughs> hold the magazine up and talk mm-hmm. about how we were going on pandemic airlines. And I'd open up the magazine. <laughs> Where would you like to go today? Oh, maybe we'll go to India. And I would make this whole fake flight that we would get on. It was completely made up, right? Mm-hmm. Because obviously it's a pandemic. Nobody was going anywhere. <laughs> we were stuck. But oh, in yeah. your mind, right? In your imagination, mm-hmm. you could go anywhere. And then the following episode, I would dress in tra- like traditional Indian dress. And somebody said to me, Wendy, that is so political correct. I'm like, and politically incorrect. I'm like, no, it's not. I'm a comedian. I am here. And not only that, I made a traditional Indian food mm-hmm. that I could share with people that they attend. It was like a tandoori chicken that they could make at home. And I told, and I've been to India as well as many places. So I could share, right? My travel experience with mm-hmm. them from my little kitchen in New York City. It really, really took off. And what happened was I started getting booked on uh, podcasts, co-host things, Mm -hmm. stream everywhere. And I started to generate income from that. And I thought, well, this is really cool. I never would have figured this would have happened. That wasn't my intention. My intention was just to try and do something to keep myself relevant and keep myself out there. So January of it was really a year ago. I can't believe like this was 2021. I was sitting outside in freezing cold January weather because it, you know, rolling into that time, New York had shut down interior dining Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in 2021 and um, everything was shut down. My friend's restaurants were all jeopardized. I don't know what happened in Canada, but business it shut down mm-hmm. and still now like my neighborhood which had tons of restaurants still totally out of business there was one restaurant i kept patronizing and eating outside and freezing and it's called pangea and i love them because they catered to like they always had celebrities performing in their cabaret room now there was no cabaret room and i thought how can i help them and they had a lot of famous people like you've heard blondie right deborah mm-hmm. harry's been there i could give you a who's who of people but now they're shut down and they really had helped the arts and i wanted to help them and i came up with the idea of a show of entertainers that i would broadcast from the inside because they couldn't let the public in to eat but they sure could let me broadcast from inside in the corner there Mm -hmm. and um, my co-host on that show tim moss who's a well-known entertainer was in the same predicament i was in we've we're entertainers how are we going to get ourselves out there so tim and i started hosting if these walls could talk and because as you know the beauty of podcasting we could bring in people from all over the world Mm 
-hmm. my amazing PR people, World Star Media had tons of people like Scott Page from Pink Floyd, mm -hmm. Leland Clark, world renowned guitarist, um, all of these people that could come on the show on a live stream. And that show took off. And the most incredible thing has happened since then. We've been doing the show for over a year, like what, a year and two months. And now we're in March of 2022. And the show just got picked up by a big uh, flat platform to be um, distributed to Roku, Amazon, um, and television platforms everywhere. They took the show because they loved what we were doing so much. And this is like a really great example, right, of mm -hmm. where you can go. In the interim, I have done a ton in the LGBTQ plus community and um, over a year and a half ago started a live stream for our organization, which is called Triversity. We service the LGBTQ plus community in the tri-state area. Mm -hmm. And the show is called Triversity Talk. And once again, the beauty of live stream, I could bring on players in the LGBTQ community that are making a difference, right? From uh, two dads uh, trying to adopt two kids, foster to adopt program, the challenges of that mm -hmm. when it goes from foster care to full adoption. And by the way, they, they had another kid that they heard about in foster care, the brother or the first one they have. Now they've got two kids, instant family. What's it like being two gay dads with two kids from foster care and mm -hmm. the challenges that those children, right, had gone through and the situation that they were found in. I want to tell those stories. You know, I've had on um, amazing players in the transgender community that have talked about um, this. This is hot topic, right? Uh, like in the Olympics or anything, uh, someone that transitioned mm -hmm. competing against someone that is of a biological gender of the same gender, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that is super controversial. I love putting stories like that out there. I want to hear the players that are going through this. You know, it's not just something that we read about. Let's talk to the people who are going through this. So I will tell you, all of my shows have one thing in common. There is that humanitarian connection. My films are that humanitarian connection. It's not about my opinion. I want to put good quality shows out there that um, my mantra on everything is advocate, educate, and entertain. All right. And leave, leave out, leave the hate out, leave all the other stuff out. Let's just talk to the people that are going through this. We have to all remember, even with what's going on in our worlds politically, both the United States, I mean, Russia, the mm -hmm. Ukraine, Canada, mm -hmm. right? Let's talk about the people that this is affecting. That's the real stuff at the end of the day, Jacob. Exactly. That's what we can do as, as podcasters, you know, mm -hmm. we can, we can make it real and we can get a real human element out there, not just, you know, depending on what publication you read, how polarized it can be. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't want, I don't want to get on that platform. I want to tell real stories and mm -hmm. that's where I'm at going forward. So I've got the three shows. You can see them right now on YouTube, Pandemic Cooking with Wendy, If These Walls Could Talk, which is live streamed every Wednesday at two o'clock and Triversity Talk, which is now going through W4CMY uh, radio 
we're going to be launching uh, 20 of those episodes with them, just the audio parts. Although that show can also be found audio and visual on the Triversity channel on uh, YouTube and on Triversity's Facebook page. I got a lot of stuff out there. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's, course, I'm, I'm live, I'm performing live. I just did a show called uh, 50 Shades of Gay, uh, what we call a variety show. And mm -hmm. I wanna bring that one up in particular because the other thing that happened during the pandemic, all of a sudden I found myself on these Zoom shows mm -hmm. and started putting together these Zoom entertainment shows. It, it, now this was so bizarre to me. I didn't know anything about Zoom, Jacob. I am not a technical, well, I am a technical person now, but I wasn't. I was real happy having people tape stuff that I did and, and put it out there. All of a sudden, I'm like, I'm on these shows where when it's my turn to go, I got to hit, I got to hit a link. And I would, oh God, I would sit with a bottle of wine before my performance because the only way I could honestly do it is if I was a little buzzed because I was so afraid I was going to hit the link and like you wouldn't hear me mm -hmm. or I'd be pixelated. <laughs> oh my God. Yep. Now, you you know, if you're doing these shows, that's mm -hmm. like, I, these are the things I would worry about. Oh my God, what if I'm pixelated, you know, or my audio and the visual weren't lining up. Oh yeah. If I drank my bottle of wine, I didn't care you know, <laughs> if, it, if it didn't matter. Started doing those shows with various people uh, in New York that were performers, never dreaming that, you know, when things opened up again, we would be doing these shows on stage. Right. You know, and mm -hmm. I just got done doing Fifty Shades of Gay, really wonderful, fun variety show, uh, political commentaries. I write parodies. We do those. Um, and again, we are bringing theater back live, right? Because we can here mm -hmm. and, and, and off Broadway. Uh, we don't have off Broadway. It's interesting. We don't have the rules they have to have on Broadway, although those are big venues. And I guess they worry about things like getting sued if someone gets COVID. You know, when you're off Broadway in smaller cabarets, people can come. Uh, they just have to show everything you do in the New York area. Now you have to show that you've been uh, right. double vaccinated. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, that's the thing to get in and out. But I am blessed. I feel being able to do comedy again, live shows, live, all of it uh, live again. And just moving forward, I'm looking at my calendar while you and I are talking between <laughs> the podcast, the live shows, and yes, the modeling clients. So, um, which of course now our lives, although that industry has been really greatly impacted, the mm -hmm. amount of work has gone down. But again, turning lemons into lemonade, I've I've picked up other live modeling work. So I'm I'm very excited about everything going forward. I really am. Mm -hmm. I just I want this whole pandemic thing that is, you know really colored our world. I, I want that to end. I love the globalization that we have gotten because of it. Right. Mm -hmm. I've been on podcasts in the UK. Oh, yeah. I've talked to people that have said, uh, you know, what's your experience, what's happening to you in the UK. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to talk about that. That's the beauty. The only beauty really of what's happened from this in many ways, it's brought us all closer together. You and I are talking, you're up, you know, by the Canadian border there, I'm here in New York, you know, and, mm -hmm. and we can talk about what we have in common. It, it's brought us much closer than we ever would have been. Oh yeah. The advancement of technology is fantastic for us. Now to round this up, 
uh, for today. Now, my audience would love to follow you. And of course, you have a website where everything is linked, the memoirs on Amazon. Uh, what other social media would you like them to go to and follow you on? Okay, so of course, the website, www.wendystewarttv.com. Mm -hmm. Okay, and to make it easy, the YouTube channel is also Wendy Stewart TV. I've got my three podcasts on there, as well as all the other podcasts I've guest, I've been a guest on, as mm -hmm. well as theater work that I'm doing, live shows, one-stop shopping for everything about Wendy Stewart, S-T-U-A-R-T. You mm -hmm. can go to my Instagram, which is She's the Last Model Standing, named, of course, after my book. Mm -hmm. On uh, Facebook, it's Wendy Stewart, S-T-U-A-R-T. And uh, I tell people before they send me a friend request and, I, you know, and I don't, I don't we don't have any mutuals. I'm not likely to answer that. But what they can do all of YouTube, all of I'm sorry, Facebook does have that message area. You can totally message me. Tell me that you heard me on this show mm -hmm. and then uh, then we can completely connect after that because at least i know i know where i know you from you know <laughs> fantastic <a> crazy person <laughs> and there's a lot of those uh, you can well i'm sure you get my i my god i get tons of crazies and i get one particular person that keeps wanting to friend me and it's it's it it's uh, he's in doctor scrubs you know mm -hmm. and handsome but i don't think that that's who it is at all <laughs> You yeah, know it's 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 hard to tell online who's who. It, it's the same guy, right? Mm -hmm. And I know ultimately, and the pictures are always different. But oh, it's yeah. the same guy. I'm like, I know this troll who this is, <laughs> but I, I'm sure you know. Ultimately, it, it will end to him wanting or needing money. I know it's connected to a scam like that. So oh, again, great. you can private message me <laughs> and and say that you heard me on Jacob's show, and I promise I will get back to you. There mm -hmm. is also my Twitter, mm -hmm. which is she's the last model standing on Twitter and Wendy Stewart on Twitter. I don't know how I ended up with two Twitter accounts, but <laughs> I've, I've definitely got them. And that's all she wrote, folks. That's enough. My God. And fantastic. of course, on Amazon. Thank you. Um, you're fantastic. Thank you. And of course, you guys want to follow Wendy with this episode on all social media. Wendy will be tagged in the description of the show, wherever you're watching, listening, or seeing the post. Just go and click and follow and buy, like, subscribe, everything you guys got to do. Wendy, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your amazing story with me. Oh my God, Jacob, thank you for, for having me. And you just, I just thought of something just by what you said, mm -hmm. there's gotta be like, um, I don't know the name of a blog or even a podcast, click and follow. What do you think <laughs> of that? Oh, uh, if it's not trademarked yet, somebody needs to go get it. I'm going to, I'm, I'm throwing the ball in your court. That is really great. I just love that. Click and follow. Thank Thanks. you so much for having me. Thank you to everybody who's listening today. Everyone take care, be well, be safe, and don't forget to follow your dreams.